Our second reading this morning is from the 34th Psalm. I will bless the Lord at all times. The Lord's praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt God's name together. I sought the Lord and God answered me, delivered me from all my fears. Look to God and be radiant so your faces shall never be ashamed. This poor soul cried and was heard by the Lord and was saved from every trouble. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear God and delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are those who take refuge in our God. Fear the Lord, you God's holy ones, and those who fear God have no want. The young lions might suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Which of you desires life and covets many good days to enjoy? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, During this season of Advent, we are going to be talking about the topic of peace. We are going to be talking about the advent of peace, the coming of peace into this world. And just like I mentioned with the kids earlier, peace in the Bible is a much bigger word than you might think it is. Um, Peace is not just being nice to each other, and peace is not just being a jerk, or not just not being a jerk to one another. Uh, Last night, John and I were talking about this, and uh, his... You know, well, okay, John is in here, so I can't share this story. Uh, last night we were talking, and John may have used slightly saltier language than I'm allowed to use in church, but he was like, you know, peace is kind of insipid if it's just not being a complete jerk, let's use the word jerk, to one another. And I thought, yeah, that's true. Like, peace is more than just being nice and not being mean. So peace, when we hear it in the Bible, that word in the Hebrew is shalom. And you might recognize that word because in Hebrew today, the word peace is still shalom. You see it on bumper stickers and you hear people say it. Sometimes uh, people might sign off their emails, shalom. Uh, And shalom is a really interesting word in the Hebrew. It's a very good place for us to start today. Because shalom, as I told the kids, it doesn't just mean peace like being nice or not being mean, shalom actually encompasses this idea of wholeness. It's the idea of being completely who you are. You are where you are supposed to be. You are doing what you are supposed to be doing. You are with the people you were created to be with. You are everything God has created you to be. So in this season of Advent, one of the things that we keep hearing in scripture and in prayers throughout the season is that we're waiting for the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Shalom, the Prince of Wholeness to come. So together we're going to sort of sit and dwell with this theme. What does wholeness look like for us? What does it mean for us to be peacemakers in the world around us? Or how could our church be a community of wholeness here in Milan? What about within our own hearts? How do we experience peace within ourselves? 
And that's where we're going to start today with Psalm 34. And Psalm 34 has some pretty good advice for us on how we should seek peace, seek wholeness in our own hearts and our individual lives. So the advice of Psalm 34, especially toward the end there, is really kind of two-pronged. One has to do with our words, and the other part has to do with our actions. So if you listen to those latter verses of the psalm, they say, Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you to fear the Lord. Which of you desires life and covets many good days to enjoy? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And I think that little bit of wisdom is as good a place to start as any. So we'll sort of pull it apart into two pieces of advice that at least I hear being offered there. And the first is that if we desire life, if we covet many good days to enjoy, we should keep our tongues from evil and our lips from speaking deceit. And I think that's easier said than done, right? Like we sort of know that, that's something we teach our children But it's something that I think we need to be reminded of again and again, that in being people of peace, in bringing wholeness to ourselves, in worshiping the Prince of Peace who comes in this season of light, I think it starts with how we speak. Now words, um, sometimes we sort of brush them off like sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's completely untrue. Words are very, very powerful. The words that we say to one another, the words that we hear, even those words that exist only in the quiet of our own mind, but we're smart enough not to say out loud ever, those words shape the world that we live in. They shape our expectations of ourselves and how we view other people. Words are really, really powerful because they impact the way that we live. Now, one of my colleagues here in the Presbytery of Detroit, she and her husband are both pastors, And they purchased one of those big, beautiful old homes in Indian Village in Detroit. For any of you guys who don't know, Indian Village is the neighborhood that was sort of like the first neighborhood of the auto barons. There are these massive three- and four-story old, gorgeous homes, but many of them have fallen into a state of disrepair. So um, this woman, Karen, she and her husband bought one of these homes, And bit by bit, they're working through the house to restore each room to, as best they can, it's sort of what it was when it was first built, it's sort of historic uh, beginnings. And one of their first projects was to refinish the big formal living room, this huge room at the front of the house. And when they came to the house, there was this horrible facade that someone had nailed over the hearth. Uh, the big fireplace, like the big wooden mantel piece in their living room. So one of the first things that they did was they removed this horrible old facade that someone had put over the top, and they started the work of like refinishing the brick and polishing and dusting and fixing up this solid, I think it's a maple mantel piece, it's really dark. And when they took off this facade, they found kind of a treasure underneath. The original mantel piece had been hand-carved with these lovely designs and words that stretch all the way across the mantle over the fire. And the words read, Good friend, around these hearthstones, speak no evil of any creature. And apparently, I think these words were first popularized um, by, oh my gosh, I'm totally blinking right now, famous architect, 
Thank you, Frank Lloyd Wright. <laughs> uh, apparently these words appear in several of his houses over the hearth places as well. Uh, theirs is not an original Frank Lloyd Wright, but they're words that came in his houses. Good friend, around these hearthstones, speak no evil of any creature. And it was sort of one of those cool treasures for them to discover buried under this crap that someone else had stuck up over the fireplace. Now, I've been to their home many times, and one of the things they do is that they will host presbytery meetings at their house. And this big formal living room is a lovely place to gather, and I've been there for many meetings. And so we'll sit around the room, and since that mantelpiece has been restored and cleaned and polished, there's sort of a magic over that space. I've noticed in the meetings, and I might be kind of crazy for this, but those words act as almost like an incantation on the room itself that it seems to me in the meetings that I've been there, when people see that, uh, those words across the mantelpiece, speak no evil of any creature, that it almost changes the tenor of the meeting, that people seem to act a bit more civil to one another, we're a little more thoughtful in the words that we speak. There's this sort of power in the room, those words, I don't think they're magic in and of themselves, they just simply remind us the words that we speak have power to change the way we interact with the world around us. Words are really powerful, as we are reminded here by Psalm 34. Now, alongside this little admonition comes the second piece of advice from the psalm. Depart from evil, do good, seek peace, and pursue it. Now, throughout Advent, um, on the cover of the bulletin each week, I'm going to pull Uh, some pieces from the scripture that I think are worth reminding, those words that I think are particularly powerful and can shape the way we view the world. If you want to, I would encourage you to take home your bulletin, cut out that little square, and stick it up somewhere in your house where you will see it, where those words can remind you and shape the space around you. So this week I chose the second piece of advice. Depart from evil, do good, seek peace, pursue it. And essentially, this is, again, one of those things that's easier said than done. Walk away from that which is evil, do what's good, look for peace, and follow that way. Surround yourself with people and experiences and a world that promotes peace, that promotes wholeness in ourselves. Now, just like the words that are spoken to each other, the people and the experiences of our day-to-day living, those shape who we are as individuals. And one of the ways I'm learning that right now in kind of a visceral way is as the parent of a preschooler. And this is not surprising, I'm sure, to any of you in this room, but John and I have worked really hard with our kids to like raise them to be thoughtful and kind and to not use mean words with other people. We're really cautious about what we say in their presence, the TV shows they watch and the books they read and the toys they play with. Like we are Definitely those like kind of hovery parents that want to make sure our children are just really kind, nice kids. And we were chugging along just fine with this plan until Enoch started to go to preschool, right? And preschool, man, the kids there can be a little rough sometimes. And so when Enoch started going to preschool, it was wildly apparent to John and I that our influences as parents only go so far. He is going to be influenced by the kids and the world outside of our home in the school that he goes to. Now, uh, 
the real winner for this season right now is as the kids are getting ready for Christmas. Um, I can only assume this comes from a reference to the Nutcracker and how they're starting to see Nutcrackers or talk about the ballet. But Enoch came home the other day and I had, like, I still struggle to keep a straight face with this one. But the insult of choice among preschoolers these days is not Nutcracker, but Buttcracker. <laughs> She's just so unbelievably silly and stupid and so preschooly, but of course it's like a mean word, so I have to keep a straight face and tell Enoch like we don't use unkind words in this house, even as I'm like cracking up as he calls his little brother Buttcracker when <laughs> he annoys him. So uh, lest you think that like I'm talking about how angelic my children are until they went and got infected by other terrible children, Enoch, of course, came home and immediately taught all of these mean words to Moses. Moses went back to school into the sweet and delightful toddler classroom, which is full of one and two-year-olds who are adorable and super innocent. And then Moses goes into his classroom, and he's that naughty, awful child who teaches all the one and two-year-olds the naughty word buttcracker. So, you know, my children are part of this problem as well. It's sort of like this virus that spreads from older kids down to the younger children. And it's sort of a silly example, but it's really true. It's a way of highlighting that we are shaped by the people and the experiences that we surround ourselves with. They shape the language that we use and the way that we view the world around us. Whatever newspaper you pick up increasingly will shape your political worldview or whatever news channel you watch. Same might be true there. Our children are going to influence the kind of hobbies that we ourselves are interested in, and our friends are going to have an impact on the way we live and exist in this world, the kind of things we enjoy doing because our friends enjoy doing them. And so this advice from Psalm 34, whether we think about it in kind of sillier ways or more serious ways, it's really appropriate. In our own lives, if we want to be people of peace and of wholeness, we should depart from the influences of evil so that we can have the space and the energy and the mental capacity to actually do good in the world. We should follow after, we should pursue those things that promote peace and promote wholeness. And then in pursuing those things, those will in fact make us more whole and more peaceful people. So this is all way easier said than done, I know. But in this season of Advent, my invitation to us as we wait for the Prince of Peace to come into our midst is that we would look for ways of being people of peace in this world, that we would be thoughtful about the words that we are speaking to one another and the words that we're thinking, that they might start to weave a world around us that's sort of shot through with kindness and compassion and light and peace, that our words would have power, and that we would also then be intentional about seeking stories and influences and people and experiences that normalize peace, that help us become more peaceful so that we can go out into the world and promote peace among others. It's sort of that line, right? Let peace prevail on earth and let it begin with me. My prayer for us in this season is that we would be the source of peace in this world, that Christ would work through us to bring peace to this world that we are in. So thanks be to the one who is our Prince of Peace. Amen.